Catechism question of the week is number 56. What is the reason annexed to the third commandment? And the answer is the reason annexed to the third commandment is that however the breakers of this commandment may escape punishment from men, yet the Lord our God will not suffer them to escape his righteous judgment. You remember that the reason annexed to the third commandment is in these words, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Now, because man is not committed either to the holiness of God, the knowledge of God, or to the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, it has been very rare, even in so-called Christian nations, that the blaspheming or despising uh, of the Lord and his ordinances and um, the use of his names uh, has been punished by men. But ultimately, it is not man who holds us guiltless or guilty. It is God. When we learn from Scripture that all things are from God and through God and to God and to Him is the glory, and that we in particular are created to know Him and especially redeemed to know Him, then we understand the greatness of the third commandment. That it is that same thing for which the Corinthian believers uh, were being executed. Corinthian believers were being executed by God is that in that in which they were being brought near to the Lord Jesus Christ to feed upon him by faith, to fellowship with him at his table, to recognize their being bound to him in his covenant, uh, with him as their covenant head and bound to God through him, that in that very moment they were taking that lightly uh, and neglecting the fact that they were to be acting at all upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, similarly then, in all of God's making himself known to us, because Jesus is the ultimate communication of God, communication to us by God. He is God himself, the second person. And so after God had given the scriptures, and after God had made so many appearances of himself, and after God had, uh, uh, in the scriptures, given so many of his names, and after God had given them so many signs by which he placed his name upon them, and after God had given uh, them the various ordinances of the priesthood and the ceremonial law and uh, and the benedictions and, and so forth, and all of these things where God had made himself known to them and put his name upon them and exalted his word above all his name, he still said, no one has seen God at any time. But when the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, he said, but he who is the only begotten of the Father, the only begotten who is in the bosom of the Father, he has fully revealed him. He has exegeted him, or ep-exegeted him, uh, as uh, I believe it's verse 18 of John chapter 1 says. And so we realize that in all of God's making himself known to us, disclosing himself to us, putting his name upon us, putting his name upon uh, our lips, all of these things are building up to and participating in and looking forward to the Lord Jesus. And now in the wake of Christ, all of our knowing him, all of our uh, our membership in the physical church, the sacraments, we were just 
talking about the Lord's Supper and baptism as well, uh, hearing his word preached in which Jesus himself addresses us um, uh, through servants that he has redeemed and ordained and in whom he has uh, put his spirit, uh, the ordinances that he's given us, uh, everything that God gives us whereby to know him uh, is uh, participates in the fact that Christ is God's disclosure of himself to us, and Christ is the one in whom God has put his own name upon us. So that when we speak about God, or when we speak about the Bible, or when we speak about worship, or when we use any of the names uh, that God has given us in Scripture, or when we quote the Bible, uh, all of these things are uh, interactions with God through Jesus. Now there is nothing God is so committed to as himself, and particularly himself as displayed in his Son, who is the expression of God to us, uh, and whose glory is the point of everything that he does in time and space and creation and providence and history, and particularly that that great center of providence and history that is his redemption of sinners. Everything is for his glory in the Son. And how can someone be held guiltless? Only through the Son. And so we realize the greatness of the third commandment in our lives. Because when we break this commandment, we are treating Christ as of little value. He cannot be saved without Christ. And even the believer, when he treats Christ as of little value, what's he doing? He's treating his own redemption. He's treating his own forgiveness as of little value. And this cannot continue. If this continues in someone's life, he has no reason to think that he's a believer. How can someone be a believer in Jesus Christ and continue to despise him? over and over, without repentance, without horror and sorrow and grief and hatred of that sin. And so someone who is characterized by lightness in worship, lightness in the way we speak and think about God, lightness even in our repenting and praying and asking for forgiveness, lightness in how we read the Bible or hear it read or hear it preached, let alone foulness or silliness. Someone who's characterized by that, how? Can they think that they are a believer in Jesus Christ, embracing him as the living God who has given himself for them? And so there's a great warning in the third commandment, not just the greatness of this sin as uh, as expressed in God saying he will not hold him guiltless who taketh his name in vain. He says that sin is great, but that a habitual, unconcerned, unrepenting breaking of this commandment is a great indicator that someone is not a believer in Jesus Christ, does not actually have atonement for or forgiveness of his sins. And when he appears in the last day and he says, Lord, Lord, did I not in your name, in your name did I not, in your name did I not, in your name did I not, he will be one of those of of whom Jesus says in Matthew 7, he will say to him, I never knew you, Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. The Lord will not hold him guiltless, who taketh his name in vain. And so it's not a small thing to say, oh my, or uh, to use the Lord Jesus' name as a throwaway word and uh, in conversation, uh, or many of the other ways that this commandment is wrong. It's just not a small thing 
He who is your God, he who is your Savior, his glory, his honor, the weightiness of who he is, the greatness of what he has done for you. It ought to, uh, by the grace of the Spirit, produce in your heart great honor and reverence and joy, uh, not silly lightness, but joy. Uh, and to the extent to which we still need to be sanctified in this, because obviously we're not perfected in this, we ought to hate whatever extent to which we still take our Lord lightly and take his name in the way he makes himself known to us lightly. The Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain, or as the Catechism answer has it, the reason annexed to the third commandment is that however the breakers of this commandment may escape punishment from men, yet the Lord our God will not suffer them to escape his righteous judgment.